Am I on here? Check, check. There we go. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is good to be back with you all. Um, we at the Wanger household, I think we're still technically COVID because Beckett's still in his 10 days, uh, but the rest of us have all gotten through ours and we're, we're all doing better. Thank you all for your prayers and, and calls and uh, I'm so glad I was able to still be a part of worship last week, even if I uh, was at home at the time and I couldn't even talk. <laughs> Our scripture today comes from John 14, 29. If you wanted to follow in the Pew Bibles, you can do so on page 764. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me and will not obey my teachings, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Blessed is the word. When you hear the word peace and think about Christmas, what do you think about? Uh, when, when I was first approaching this, the, the, the image that came to my mind comes from 1983 classic A Christmas Story. You all know that tale, right? You know, Red Rider, carbine action, 200 shot air rifle, you know, Flick sticking his tongue to the pole, the fight with Scott Farkas, soap in the mouth, classic film, right? But actually, it wasn't that part of the film. It's the very last vignette, that last little set of scene, that idea that comes after everything has happened. You know, they, they've had the disaster that happens on Christmas. You know, the, the dogs come running into the house and eat the turkey or the goose. I don't remember what it was. I think it was turkey. And, and then they, they, they go to the Chinese restaurant, which, by the way, if you ever watch the film, next time you watch it, Check out what they did. When it, it's obviously an old um, bowling alley that they turned into a Chinese restaurant. It's bowling Chinese. It's a great joke. It's, it's subtle, but it's great. Also, by the way, they didn't know that the goose was going to come out with the head on. So when the mom screams, when they chop off the head, that is the actress 100% really screaming. She had no idea that was going to happen. Anyway, after all that, there's this moment. The scene starts outside, and you see the house and that old 1938 Oldsmobile. 
And the house is lit up with Christmas lights here and there, and the snow is falling softly. And then they go inside the house, and you see Mom walking down the stairs, not hitting those big old light switches. So at last she comes into the living room, turns on the radio. It's playing Silent Night. The only light on are the lights on the tree. And, and she sits down on the arm of the chair next to Dad, and the two of them enjoy a drink watching the snow fall softly outside. And then the camera goes upstairs and you see, you see Randy, the younger kid, hugging his, his Zeppelin. You see, um, I can't think of his name, Ralphie, you know, hugging his carbine, which seems like a terrible thing to do in your sleep, but he's hugging his carbine. And, and you hear the adult Ralphie uh, narrating out the story, and then it goes back outside, and it ends with that snow falling softly on the house and the Oldsmobile on the trees. It's a moment of peace, of perfect peace, the kind of peace that, honestly, I want every Christmas. You know, you, you want that moment when everyone's at home, everyone's quiet in bed, and and relaxed, and, and you're just watching the snowfall. That's the kind of peace we ask for every Christmas. But you know what? It's not usually the peace that, that was meant when we say peace in Christmas. Like, it's part of it. It's something we all want, because let's face it, our lives are certainly no less complicated than the Parkers in 1940, Right? If anything, we've gotten a little more complicated in the, what, 80, 80 years? Is that right? Yeah, 2020, 80 years since that story was supposed to take place. I guess technically 82, but anyway. Okay, well, maybe, maybe we should look at the other way. Peace on earth. That's the other thing we all say, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, we echo the angels. Maybe you think something more like uh, 1914. I'm just pulling out ancient days here. 1914, the Christmas truce. If you're, if you're a fan of history class, you might remember this. Uh, World War II is happening, and the Belgians and the English and the French are all fighting the, the, the Germans. And on Christmas Day... Out of kind of nowhere, they stop fighting. They set aside their guns. And instead, they cross into no man's land where they trade goods with one another. They sing carols. They play soccer and just generally make merry. You know, something that, that really echoes that whole Isaiah 2 passage that, that gets repeated so much. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. A kind of peace on earth that, that all peoples turn away from the ways of rebellion and instead look to God, God the King, God who will make all things right, who will rule over people, from whom blessings will flow down from the mountain of God into our world, making all things right. 
Well, that is actually, you know, it's the ultimate hope of every Christian. You know, that day when, when Jesus will come back and make all things right. But again, it's not exactly the peace that we're actually looking for in terms of what Jesus talks about. I mean, Jesus talks about it. That is the end goal. You know, John the Patmos, he writes a whole book, you know, Revelation, all about that. But that's not, not the kind of peace that Jesus teaches. Jesus, in the Gospels, teaches another kind of peace. I call this the small peace, not the big peace. You know, the big peace is peace on earth. But I don't know about you. I have not been able to solve the world's problems. I don't know if any of you have. I mean, if I've won the Nobel Peace Prize, I'd probably be wearing it all the time. And I'm not wearing mine, and none of you are wearing yours today. Now, if any of you got some good solutions for fixing the big things out there, let us know. It's not saying that you can't. It's just more likely than not we won't. Because Jesus is a practical guy. Jesus worries about what we do every day. So Jesus teaches the small piece, the interrelational piece. Now, okay, so we're doing John this year. John almost never really talks about this because that's not John's thing. Matthew talks about it. We know what Matthew says. Matthew says, you know, look, if you got a problem with a brother or a sister and you're going to worship God, stop, go make things right, then come back and worship God. John doesn't tell us that, but does remind us over and over and over again that the first step of loving Jesus is to love your brothers and your sisters. So it works into that. John's worried about another part of small peace that we hardly ever think about. One that we don't generally as, as Christians think about or talk about. It's inner peace. Now I say the word inner peace and you might have visions of people doing yoga or kung fu movies or whatnot. It's got an eastern flavor that doesn't quite fit with Western Christianity, but it is still an important central pillar in Christianity. We, we need it. It's part of Jesus' message. Wrong page. Now, today's scripture actually takes place near the end of Jesus' ministry. That's the whole thing. When you're doing Advent and you're talking out of John, you got to kind of pick and choose out of the whole gospel because John's got like what? 12 verses about Jesus before he starts his ministry. Anyway. So Jesus gives this near the end. He has returned to Jerusalem. He knows he is about to be arrested, tried, and executed. And he is telling his disciples that they will find peace in this. Peace beyond peace that they understand. Peace beyond what any human can achieve by themselves. Their next few days are going to be some of the worst in their lives. Everything they had known, everything they had expected to happen are going to fall apart in front of them. Nothing is going to turn out the way they thought it was going to turn out. Their whole world is about to be destroyed. And yet Jesus tells them they will find peace in the middle of this tumult. How? How can they do that? How can we do that? I mean, certainly our lives aren't as bad as theirs are going to be in the next couple days. But our lives are hard to find peace in. 
We, like the disciples, like the characters in the Christmas story, we, we seemingly are running around from near disaster to near disaster, just hoping that with a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work, we'll make everything turn out right. That somehow we could steer this Christmas season just right if we stress ourselves out to the max so that when we hit the end day that we will get that Christmas story moment where we can sit there watching the snowfall, listening to Silent Night. Everyone's in the house and quiet and happy. Jesus tells us that we are working too hard to find that moment. That instead, that every moment that we are drawing breath, we can find peace. We can find it. In the middle of the insanity, we can stop. This is part of Christ's gift to the earth. It's part of Christ's gift to us. Those who believe in him are given the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit is here to continue the work of Jesus as teacher, as rabbi, as connection between us and the divine. But, like our relationship with Jesus, it requires for us to open ourselves to the Spirit, to allow God into our lives, to allow God into the driver's seat. Now, I am the kind of person that if I'm in a car, I like to be the one who's driving. I don't know about you all. Now, maybe you are fine with not being the one who's driving. Maybe your spouse is a great driver and you feel very comfortable with them driving. I'm not saying Lauren is a bad driver at all. She touches the brake a little too often for my taste, but she's a very good driver. You know, when you actually have someone who's a really good driver in your household, someone you ride with, you don't have to worry, do you? You don't have to worry that you're going to go from point A to point B because you know you're going to get to point B. You're going to get to where you need to be. Sorry, that was a play on word I didn't mean there. We don't have to give directions. If they're a good driver, we shouldn't be giving directions, though not all of us can shut our mouths. We don't need to tell them, oh, don't forget to turn on your blinker. We don't need to worry about other people on the road because that good driver is watching out for them. We allow the good driver to do their job. You know, we, we often call Jesus, you know, Jesus the good shepherd. And you know what? It's a great analogy, but how many here have sheep? How many here shepherd? No? No one? Okay, how many here have ridden in a car with someone else's driving? How many would like a good driver? <laughs> yeah? Let's think of Jesus and God and the Spirit as the good driver. you got to let him take the road, the, the wheel. So, as this Christmas season is speeding up, as you are worrying about all those appointments you have, all the cleaning, my house needs that right now, cooking, we all got to do a lot of that, visiting, decorating, shopping, wrapping, and so on and so forth, 
you know, not forgetting to water the tree, keeping the cat out of the ornaments, keeping the small children from pulling the tree over. You all know this. Take a moment and peel those white-knuckled fingers off of the steering wheel. Let God take the wheel. Let the good driver take the wheel and go and sit in the passenger seat so that as you're doing all of that, you're not worrying about getting to the next thing. Instead, enjoy each moment for what it is. I hate wrapping gifts with a passion. I would put everything in a gift bag if I could. Apparently, that's no fun for kids. you got to wrap. But you know what? When I stop and I think about the joy of Gracie opening that gift or Lauren opening that gift and how much fun that's going to be, Beckett's going to have no, just not even going to care, and that's fine. He's five months then. He's not supposed to care. Six months. Anyway. I'm going to try to enjoy that moment. The kind of joy that I wouldn't experience if I was trying to hold on to the wheel with all my might. Try to breathe. The gift, one of the gifts of Christ is that peace, that peace beyond understanding, that peace beyond what the world can give. And this is a time of year when we need it. So when you're running around and you're stressed and you're trying to get everything done, let Jesus take the wheel. Let Jesus drive the car. Breathe. Jesus offers you that inner peace that only he can offer. Breathe. May you, like in the song, float above the earth's lamentation. May your souls find peace. May your spirits find peace. May your hearts find peace. That you are not troubled with worry and strife and what goes on around you, but instead find the joy of the season every moment and in every place. May you find peace. And may you also join us downstairs for food after this.